In the face of the current atrocities perpetrated against the Ukrainian people by the government of Russia, we want to make you all aware of an opportunity to provide free therapy to those most impacted by the war in Ukraine. The organization called It's Complicated has created a platform for therapists from all around the world to offer their services for free. Particularly if you speak Ukrainian or Russian, please consider creating a profile at itscomplicated.life slash en slash Ukraine. It's Complicated is providing a secure online platform to conduct the sessions and will match people needing support with available therapists free of charge. Please consider creating a profile to provide free therapy to those impacted by the war. Go to itscomplicated.life slash en slash Ukraine. We want to give you an update about somatic integration and processing trainings coming up. SIP-1 and SIP-2 are both approved for 21 NBCC hours, and we have big news. They are also each approved for 10 hours of approved advanced credit through MDRIA. So if you're working on your EMDR certification, SIP trainings can count towards your needed advanced training hours. We're so excited to be able to offer this to all of you. More exciting news is that we're offering SIP-1 for an Australian time zone. On July 22nd through the 24th, we will host a virtual training starting at 7 a.m. UTC plus 10. If you're in another time zone, you're welcome to attend this one as well. But we've had so many people from Australia reach out about SIP that we wanted to make it more accessible for all of you. We also have SIP-1 available in American time zones on June 23rd through the 25th, and again on October 20th through the 22nd. Go to our website for all this info and more at beyondhealingcenter.com or email us at trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com. Thanks so much. Welcome to the Evidence-Based Therapist, where we read so you don't have to. Here you'll find clinicians and researchers discussing cutting-edge research from the embodied relational sciences, explaining why and how people work together to find healing. Hey, welcome back to another Evidence-Based Therapist, where we read so you don't have to. Although, but. we have amended that. <laughs> you, you had there. a look in your eye that was like, well, hold on There's now. There's a now parenthetical. There's a parenthetical in our subtitle, which is, <laughs> we read so you don't have to, parentheses, but we hope you do. But we hope you do. In parentheses. In parentheses, yes. Period. Well, if you're reading, if you're not, welcome back. Glad you're here. Either way, glad, glad you're here. We are here on Very a sunny Tuesday. Yeah, it's like 70 it's nice degrees and, now. Nice and warm, I a little windy. Spring might be here. Don't know yet. Yeah, might be careful. Might be careful. Don't Missouri get your hopes always up. has something to say about that. Don't get your hopes up. That's but, my dismissive attachment style. Coming <laughs> through. <laughs> In relationship to the weather. Don't That's, get your hopes yeah, up. Yeah, don't get your hopes up. Take what you can get. <laughs> back into spring. Right, don't, back. don't front face spring. That's right. Don't just walk straight towards it. They will never <laughs> accept your bid for connection. Yeah. yeah, this is good. We could personify weather more. Honestly. Attachment patterns as 
as emergent in our relationship, relationship with weather. To weather, yeah, yeah, that's good. That's not what the article's about. Sorry. Although it it could be an could article, be. and if you, the listener, have written that, we Send would love to way. review it. That's right. Um, but for today, we are launching away from memory reconsolidation. We've kind of mm-hmm. finished that chapter of season two, and we are into the section where we will explore what does it mean to be an evidence-based therapist yeah, and what is an evidence-based psychotherapy. Yes. So then today's article is titled Evidence-Based Psychotherapy, Advantages and Challenges. Yeah. I feel like our last episode on how does memory reconsolidation uh, you know, interact with the field of evidence-based psychotherapies, um, that... I think sets us up really well in some of our conversation to see evidence-based psychotherapy or EBP or evidence-based therapy, EBT. Um, There's other acronyms as well, but to really see that as less of a object to be perfected and more of a kind of uh, something to be curious about. Yeah, It's more of a ongoing conversation rather than a stamp that I feel like some people just want that stamp and then no more questions asked. Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing the, I'm doing the EBT. I'm doing the EBP. Yep. What more do you want from me? Right. They have depression. I'm doing CBT. CBT. Yep. So what, what else? Yeah. I don't know why it's not working. Yeah. And you know, and you bringing up the last couple of episodes, there was this interesting pendulation that we inhabited in our episodes of structure Mm. and like, freedom yes like this like grounding of memory reconsolidation as a natural occurring phenomenon in the brain Mm. but then complexifying it in the therapeutic experience our or even in human relationships yeah um as something that you glimpse at you're never quite sure that it happens until there's that effortless permanence yeah and then it's like okay yeah that's it good is. now. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen transformative change. Yeah. But then getting there isn't always as easy as just like, hey, just do these steps. Yeah. Because humans are incredibly complicated, which I think is alluding to what you're saying of people want that. It's really simple. Mm-hmm. And that's a, again, that's a very honest wish. Like, yes. Yes. Yeah. I love that we have that language established that it, it really is a beautiful and I think well-intentioned wish. Mm-hmm to long for that. Um, but that in that wishfulness, we may objectify ourselves and those we're working with um, out of you know, fear mm. that if, if it's not true, I have no clue what yeah. I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. Memories of fear, callback. Endless callbacks. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, you want to get into the article? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this article, um, Evidence-Based Psychotherapy Advantages and Challenges was written in 2017 in the Journal of Neurotherapeutics. Which, come on now. That's amazing. Neurotherapeutics? Yeah. Are you talking about what? What? Yes. 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 So it's a conceptual review piece, and so it's not presenting a uh, any type of participant-involved uh, methodology. There's no, uh, you know, nobody's administering an intervention and watching its effect in this article. What this is, is synthesizing, if you think of almost like a lit review, um, here's what the field is kind of saying about evidence-based psychotherapy and within a journal, a review article, 
is looking at uh, starting the conversation with a foundation for later publishings to capitalize on, to mm -hmm. kind of bring the field to a consensus or a journal to a consensus and say, okay, this is what the field is saying right now. What can be said about this synthesis? Mm -hmm. And then you'll see later publications reference this and use that understanding of whatever they were reviewing. Yeah, yeah, which means it's not absent of its references to oh, yeah. like random control trials and yeah. and different studies that are experimental in some way. Yeah, in eight pages they had 68 references. Yeah. So very but the well, review is synthesizing and organizing information. Yes. And so that just kind of changes to me the posture that we approach the piece with, mm -hmm. that it's not necessarily looking at, you know, what are the inclusion criteria limitations to the participants. There are some questions to be raised about why did they choose the articles that they did but i think for our time today we're going to more so just look at what they have gathered rather than mm -hmm. kind of take apart there was these sections of articles which came from this journal and they left this out or you know any yeah. of those type of uh critical analysis approaches so um it's more so on what is the story communicated here yeah and i love that perspective yeah. like what's the story of evidence-based psychotherapy mm -hmm. which that's kind of where they start. They start with the history of EBPs. Yes. Um, and they, they talk about um, uh, Eddie in 1987 using was the first one to use the term in psychiatric medicinal work. Yes. The phrase evidence-based. Yeah. I love, I, I hope we can maybe just spin up on this. Okay. Because they give a explicit definition after saying that often there isn't a, a very... Um, clear-cut understanding of what evidence-based psychotherapy is, which is one of the challenges. But they're referencing, again, uh, building off of Eddie, but then also um, a publication from the 90s by uh, author named Sackett, S-A-C-K-E-T-T, -T, um, which they, in this article, note as the father of this movement, or one of yeah. the big kind of voices in generating this impetus and why we need to be talking this way. In medicine. That's right. Very important. Yeah. This is inherited medical model language that the field of psychotherapy, which in our perspective is a wellness-based uh, mm -hmm. field, is using still a medical design. Yeah. But they, they stated evidence-based medicine is the conscientious, explicit, and judicious use of current best evidence in making decisions about the care of individual patients. How does Honestly, that hit you? I have no qualms. I like, have no qualms. I'm, I'm there. Yeah. I think, you know, the way that's been utilized, you know, maybe I have some qualms with yeah. the praxis of it, but, you know, conscientious, like the, the present awareness of the clinician to be conscientious about the why mm -hmm. of what they're doing, mm -hmm. explicit and like noting the why and communicating that between parties. Yes, and being judicious, like very oriented towards like what am what is the field and the current um, data and evidence showing is like within the best interest of the client. I'm, yes, I'm and pretty cool with that. I think you know they. The words conscientious, explicit, and judicious are all very interesting words to apply to psychotherapy. They're they're very, um, I would say, like left hemisphere, like clerical, very yeah. technical language. And conscientious, yeah. explicit, and judicious. 
It's very curious. Am I in a court of law? Right, exactly. Like yeah. it feels very much like a, a, a building a logical argument mm -hmm. for the inclusion of a practice. Yeah. Which uh, that'll be interesting later on as we get into some of the takeaways of this article of like, is it true that our conceptualization of evidence-based psychotherapy is predominantly left brain uh, favored? Mm -hmm. What does that mean then for a whole brain organism yeah. to have one of its ways of orienting to the world favored? Yeah. Let's, oh, dude, let's come back to that. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So in that, they note the lineage then that the APA, the American Psychological Association, picked up the work by Sackett and their colleagues um, to go on uh, to kind of point to the policy of evidence-based psychotherapy for the field of psychology, uh, which is something that is still discussed today. And we have episodes in the future of this uh, season that are going to get at some of the issues even with APAs uh, living out their uh, stated kind of standard that we need to be evidence-based. But the authors note that this policy emphasizes integrating the best available research, which is kind of what Sackett was saying, mm -hmm. with clinical expertise in the context of the patient's culture, individual characteristics, and personal preferences. Personal preferences. Within that, I absolutely have no qualms. Yeah. Like now I feel like we've got We're the in the zone of collaboration. It's all that's invitation to me. Yeah. The way you discover that information is through the clinical encounter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we should all be doing evidence-based psychotherapy. Right? Like if that if that is the definition and that that's how all of these therapies have been determined to be evidence-based psychotherapy, then we should have no problem with this. Yeah. So where does it fall apart? Or where does where's the catch? Yeah. I think that's where I'd like maybe one of our points of the conversation to focus on. Yeah. Because with that definition, we, we really don't have any problem. Yeah. And to talk about a quote-unquote catch, what felt <laughs> like dissonant is like in reading this section, I was like, I was like, I'm so glad to know this history because yeah. I did not know this. And this is very much in line with like what we would conceptualize as like a healthy way to engage mm -hmm. evidence-based therapies. One of the things that they say that did catch me though, is one key goal of EBP, EBPs is to maximize pace, patient choice about options. Clinical decisions associated with evidence-based psychotherapies optimally are made collaboratively with the patient based on the best available choices, attention to costs, benefits, available resources, options, etc. Decision-making involves ongoing monitoring and adjustments. Mm -hmm. That level, like in, in, in that section, like a, to me, my brain connotes a very collaborative mm -hmm. experience. And that would be where my gut catches. It's like, oh, that feels like one place where the I even wrote in the the margin, like, is this the praxis of clinicians though? Right. To be that attuned to a relational co-creation. So I want to break that down a little bit because to me, there's multiple problems with that language. One from what I often kind of note as a like an academic idealism versus a clinical application. Yeah. This means if you go back to that conscientious, explicit, and judicious outlined by Sackett originally, that would mean that not only is the therapist aware 
of the research that's coming out about both what the client is presenting with and all of those other elements, their, how that intersects with their culture, uh, their own kind of temperament, et cetera. But that also the therapist is informing the client then of that same research base, which, you know, we do a ton of consultation. I am not aware of a single clinical encounter where somebody had outlined what the evidence within the empirical archive was pointing to with yeah. what the client was presenting with. Yeah. Is that bad therapy then? Like, that's where my mind starts to go. It's like, so well, what's, what are we to say? Yeah. And I would even say like, to say that to clients, if we're coming from an, like a nervous system informed attachment based relational therapy perspective or paradigm, mm-hmm. like even my, that's a, provoking experience very much to say like i think what's happening is this and here's what the current evidence points to what you need yeah whoa that's a there's a tremendous amount of safety required in that yes Hmm. that's where that idealism and praxis like feels like yeah that's a great ideal for it to be that collaborative but yeah in praxis like that alone takes a lot unless you're steamrolling well that's what i was just going to say i think within that is implied a power dynamic Mm -hmm. that i think is contradictory to the required relational connection in therapy that actually Mm -hmm. creates the healing that we're looking for yeah within presenting the case i think there's i can hear voices in my head about what about like uh you know we are the educated and professional helper in the room and so that's our role is to present to them what the field says that is going to help them okay but what about their choice like do they actually have a choice in that relationship then Mm -hmm. or because of the power dynamic that's inherent with a person coming to see a professional are they going to just naturally fall into like subjectification or objectification in that way like Mm -hmm. are they um oppressed in that dynamic to just appease you yeah to follow the rule well i want to go with the evidence Mm -hmm. without having really any information about how is that evidence determined yeah how does it make sense with all of my comorbidities which is another problem that we'll get into yeah with all of my contextual experiences Mm -hmm. i mean they go on or they say earlier that you know the unique characteristics of each patient are to be like observed and integrated and that's developmental history, life stage, personal problems, strengths, personality structure, functional status, readiness for change, engaging in therapy, degree of social support, family and social cultural factors and systems. Like, okay. Yeah. So you got it, right? Like yeah. just now determine, essentially do a trig problem in your head, multifactorial analysis of variance <laughs> and determine the recommended evidence-based treatment for this person. Yeah. I love how quickly this water gets. It, we just read like three sentences and it got muddy real fast. <laughs> really, really fast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not unsalvageable though. No, no. And this article, I really want to stick with it because I think this article does a great job with the mud. Yeah. Yeah. But in proposing, and I like even the flow of this, in proposing the history, it's like the posture of the history is very like, like yeah, totally. I agree with the posturing of collaboration being kind of open, but then immediately when you start looking at the 
the application and embodiment of this posture. Mm-hmm. Evidence-based therapies and psychotherapies coming from a medically oriented paradigm gets muddy very quickly. Yes, yes. The kind of sentiment within the field as presented in this article is that we recognize that the presentation of a client and the dynamic that then is met in therapy is more complex than just a simple one-to-one pairing. You show up with this, I pair it with this. However, evidence-based therapies and this world of research is still very important because it helps kind of establish templates that we can then add to further complexify the treatment plan to more kind of holistically or authentically invite the client and therapist to find something that brings relief, deals with traumatic memory, and ultimately integrates the self. Yeah, yeah, and they even say like one of the strengths of it is ideally practitioners who actively employ EBPs save time, money, resources, and provide treatments with little or questionable effectiveness for their patients. They are engaging in good therapy, healing therapy quicker. Yes. And therefore saving resources, fostering like quicker autonomy in the client, like an interdependence leading to like growth in their life. That's awesome. Yeah. And we need that research to know like, ooh, these are like the dynamics of what works. And yeah. the water's mus- m- right. muddy. And I think this is, do you have anything left for this section? Because I'd like to transition to a bit of the challenges. Okay. But they, they end that section by saying, as a result, evidence-based psychotherapies are associated with higher quality and more accountability. They do give a reference there um, that shows uh, different meta-analysis of uh, studies that were using RCTs uh, and their EBTs, randomized control trials and their evidence-based therapies, and those that were not and showing different uh, results. Uh, but then they go on to say, as well as the enhancement of the health and well-being of the public. I hear, again, that wishfulness. That by using EBTs or EBPs, we're going to be more accountable as a profession. And we're ultimately going to lead to the health and wellness of the public. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. If your research paradigm was set up to prove that, I think we got a problem. Hmm. Yeah. Rather than deducing that from application of these therapies, yeah. not setting out to show that it does those things. Yeah. It, to me, and you saying that, I'm like struck in my like chest region by mm. just this like, it, like it's not what you're saying, like, and I'm reading it into your connotation, but I think I'm attuned. I hope I am at least. And if I'm not, please correct me. But that as humans, like there is still the presence of hope that we hold as clinicians to affect like change, not just in the individual, but in societies and cultures and to shift our paradigm of healing and what health looks like in an ongoing sense. Yeah. But to say that these, these ways of researching have found that ultimately and are therefore generalizable to many treatment moments, that feels like a limitation there. There's a limit to 
the length at which an EBT and EBP can can really like suggest generalizable change. Yes. Yes, and they they go on to say it's important that we need that, that we have these EBTs and EBPs and this culture of generating interest and research around them because and this is one where when you check the references I was personally disappointed by this statement and how they justified it. Okay. They said, because providers adhere less to evidence-based methods over time, quality of care diminishes with increasing years of experience. No citation there. And that's not true from some of the research that I've seen on actually our expertise gets better over time. The next sentence is, in addition, providers with more experience may be less up-to-date with current knowledge, guidelines, or standards of care, and as a result, their patients may be may have poorer treatment outcomes. They do give a citation there, which is from 2005. Mm-hmm. This article was published in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious what you make of those two statements in, in conjunction. Well, I wrote in the margins, actually, of that section, I said, I, I'm curious if this is less of an expertise problem and more of a continued supervision problem. Oh, that's beautiful. Because they list supervision as one of those like um, uh, reasons or strengths for an EBP yeah. is that it has ongoing, ongoing. support mm-hmm. and supervision. And my gut instinct was like, well, as a field, we do have this weird dynamic with community. I've been thinking a lot about what does it mean? And SIP does this like so often of like, we're not we're so oriented towards fostering a community of healers mm-hmm. that that support each other and work together and that's actually like if i was to say one reason one of many why i feel like incredibly different now than i did in other realms of my therapeutic experience yeah it is like my ability to pull like you or someone else in and to have ongoing quote-unquote supervision and consultation yeah that is not this like one hour a week like let's like walk through your notes it's like a no like genuinely stuff is coming up and so like i want to process this where like i just wonder like with age is the field do they drift from supervision they definitely drift from community we see Mm -hmm. that in all kinds of research that's on burnout burnout i was just going to say that yeah absolutely so is it actually is their decline in reported success in treatment actually indicative of lack of community? Yeah. Rather than their adherence adherence to a model yeah. of therapy. And um, yeah, yeah, like up to date mm-hmm. um, connection with EB, EBTs, EBPs. Yeah. So I like this article as a whole, and I think it's important uh, to have that rhythm of you can still look for things that you weren't super happy with. Like that first sentence, because providers adhere less to evidence based methods over time, quality of care diminishes with increasing years of experience. No citation for that. That doesn't make sense to me mm-hmm. with oh, some of the other things we're, we're familiar with and that we've included in our own model <laughs> of synthesis for, for theory. Um, so I didn't love that transition into the challenges section mm. um, because I, I don't find it to be very authentic to what I know of the field. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. I do like that you can still say that and then yeah. we're about to get into like 
so many parts of this article that I really good. utterly jacked on. Yeah, very good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. like, a little, you know, hey, yeah, could have beefed that up a yeah. little bit. Could have supported that. I'd love to see what you're Would looking love at. love to see, yeah. I'd love to see what you're looking at yeah. there. Um, and when you only provide a systematic review that's from 2005, um, I have some problems. You know, that's, that's in really where CBT was getting its steam rolling. It was in the late 90s, early 2000s. And so... Is that comment really just a byproduct of the preference for CBT and the need for these EBTs mm-hmm. uh, rather than a true picture of the field and the state of things? Yeah. Which maybe to give credit to them, maybe they wanted us to embody this sort of dissonance. The skeptic. So that we could go right into this section on challenges. Yeah. Maybe they and just fulfill the, the dissonance. Maybe they primed like a, the, the reader yeah. for curiosity yeah yeah that's my okay i would like to look at them charitably and I'm, say, I'm in. that's what they're that's what they're aiming for and they did it with us they sure they got so me. now let's talk about the challenges of ebps i'm in um the first one is concerns raised about the general generalizability of findings mm-hmm. um they talk about random control trials and outcome research versus those of the real world clinical practice differ significantly there are far more like interweaving dynamics in the real world clinical experience than there are in these rcts that get excluded for the sake of the rcts thinking of like random life events Mm -hmm. um lack of adherence to the specific model by the therapist like presenting comorbidity yeah comorbidity yes if you have more than one clinically diagnosable you know uh illness as Mm -hmm. the model is typically presented um then you're excluded from treatment because we're really working on an our an ebt for depression or an ebt for anxiety well i think that's where the generalizability will naturally suffer because Mm -hmm. that's not authentic to many human many much of the human experience yeah we don't just have one symptom that's recurring and disturbing yeah we have multiple yeah, and I, I will say maybe this is where we kind of we you know our evidence for them being actually very skillful writers is yeah. gaining traction because in this like challenge of EBPs mm-hmm. they will go on to talk about then the misperception of what a true EBP is yeah. or EBT um, that it is not just, just an RCT based mm-hmm. manualized treatment yeah. that can't be our standard. We, yeah, all we base our EBTs off of. Right. And it's because of this challenge. Right. Um, right. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the second idea is that there are a number of market differences between the processes of commonly practiced psychotherapies and evidence-based psychotherapies. Uh, they give an example that evidence-based psychotherapies tend to focus on ameliorating symptoms or disorders, whereas many people seek out psychotherapy to cope more effectively with life's challenges and have a greater sense of meaning in their lives. So that really what these RCTs or uh, the process to determine an evidence-based therapy was set up to do, namely ameliorate symptoms, Mm -hmm. that may be the not actually true to what people come to therapy for. It's not just for symptom reduction. Yeah, It's for, I just... I'm not happy. I don't have mm-hmm. anything that I'm really going for anymore. I've lost yeah. steam or I have no sense of purpose in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, EBTs were not set up to deduce which yeah. therapy 
helps people find more meaning in their yeah. life. Which is like, you know, one of the things that we've had many conversations about is like, you could do the footwork to squeeze them then into a diagnosis that then applies a treatment. Sure. Um, Depression. Protocol. Yeah. yeah. But is that really like clinically what's in the client's best interest to go there? Right. Right. Um, so that is a challenge. Yes. Absolutely. Um, the third. Do you want to stay on the second? Uh, no. I was going to. The third. Yeah. Um, okay. I love this. Reliance on scientific research is problematic. As for many practices, the level of evidence required to be considered quote-unquote evidence-based is lacking or unattainable. Like, and this is, I, I love this and that it, I was actually talking with um, a consultee the other day of like, my posture is that I love when things get kind of muddy more complex we're we're actually talking about psychoanalytic theory and mm. one of just like my i think why it draws me is because there's no simple answer yes it's so complex yep. and that there's a beauty to that yeah. and some and you know you'll hear about this with like the publication restrictions mm. and the time it takes to put on studies and then get published and then disseminate the research like the amount of evidence and like the time it takes is either lacking because of those restraints mm. or just simply unattainable. Like yes. sometimes we just can't quantify like what it takes to like treat a human. Right. Right. And I think that again, memory reconsolidation, having covered that, you know, it often remarked that uh, depression and anxiety and chronic stress are uh, very difficult to treat because you may see symptom reduction, but you will see uh, recidivism. You will see it come back as treatment stops. That's where one of the elements of, you know, another critique that they, in this article, don't really go into is that there's issues with uh, how far out your post uh, assessments are looking. Because if it's just two weeks after treatment, that's likely gonna still show quite a bit of effectiveness. But what if you look at the six month? What if you look at the year? Yeah, are they showing those same type of? Um, the, are they still showing that level of effectiveness in the absence of reported symptoms and difficulty or dysfunction in their life? Yeah, yeah. And the second I said my comment, I uh, there's like a part of me that like was like uh, about they do say in other areas, um, and that sound that I made is like a incongruence. Yeah, um, for the listeners who can't see my face. Um, they do make some statements that are alluding to like the necessity of qualitative research and in that like the way they talk is how current neurobiological inquiries and somatic inquiries um, into the functioning of our systems yeah. does give us some um, research on like the mechanisms for change Yes, which is like queuing right back to memory reconsolidation yep. Um, but are, that's different from some of these like rigid, um, what, what do they call them? Um, oh, kind of rigid ways of inquiring mm -hmm. just like the end result of change. Yeah. Um, and, and that being kind of, you know, different qualitatively. Well, I think that that's the, the science, they, they, they reference this, the science to practice gap, um, which is another kind of limitation that 
what we know now isn't necessarily what's incorporated into the studies that have certified these treatments as evidence-based. Mm. And so there's still a lag in getting the really what is going on, what is the actual kind of reality of things um, into our treatment language. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then they go on, they kind of take this like a little bit of what feels like a posture change mm. to say like, here's some of the challenges. So we have the history, we have some of the pop, the pros, we have some of the challenges. Yeah. And then they take kind of this, like what felt like to me, a postural shift mm. of saying, here's a, some misperceptions based on these challenges of what EBPs, EBTs uh -huh. are, but then they suggest what they essentially should be. Yes. Like kind of like a return yes. to that original posturing. Again, which is the the purpose of a review, of a conceptual mm -hmm. review piece in a, in a journal, is to say, here's some of the misunderstanding that's happened in the field, maybe a brief history with some, you know, here are the challenges like this article does, and then saying, let's get back to what it really is and start the conversation again, uh, moving forward from here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. So then one of the misperceptions that they talk about is that evidence-based psychotherapies are merely quote-unquote cookbook practice instructions that force clinical professionals to replace their judgment with quote-unquote manualized procedures. Mm -hmm. um, they say in reality, even guidelines included by the APA strongly recommend incorporating clinical experience and judgment into the practice of EBTs or yes. EBPs. Yes. Um, I, they go on to talk about how you know, out of that misperception comes what an EBT ought to really be, yeah. which is considered a map of potential routes with the practitioner determining which treatment path to take based on unique history and presentation of the patient. Mm. I would also would have liked for them to add that like collaboration with like the choice of the patient, what feels like safe and comfortable to them. But I love that idea of like, this is a map. Yes. It's potential. It is not like, this is where you go. Yeah. And this is where they first introduced the, the phrase flexibility within fidelity, mm. which I loved that. I don't remember this being how evidence-based treatments were taught in graduate school, that you learn the outline so that you can apply it individualized to the treatment setting. Yeah. That's not how I was taught mm. what an evidence-based therapy was. So I really love this definition, flexibility within fidelity. Mm. Can we honor, and this calls into question the mechanisms of change, which they outline as something we still need to really detail mm -hmm. or articulate, but can we stick to the, the basics of the idea and then seek to make it more meaningful in its application to the client because it incorporates those uh, individual characteristics like their culture, their individual experiences, yeah. and their perspective. Readiness. Yeah, all yeah. of those things. Yeah. Yeah. It contextualizes the quote unquote map to the actual terrain. Yeah. Yes. A model that embodies flexibility within fidelity. That's, that's, that's a beautiful way to say that. Yes. That and I, I think that there is a postural difference in making meaning of this across the theoretical orientation spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, 
for instance, what is acceptable fidelity, flexibility? Mm-hmm. You know, how, how much can we or should we incorporate exactly, you know, whole, whole cloth, paragraph for paragraph, what manualized recommendations mm-hmm. there are um, versus how much do we just like throw out the window altogether all and just yeah. leave outside the therapy setting? Yeah. So that's where I think the rub still is. Because again, the question to me is like, well, if this is our agreed upon definition, flexibility with infidelity, right on. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the problem? Well, subjective versus objective limitations are going to really show, you know, what the what the outcome of that kind of uh, what I would say very subjective consideration really is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I empathize very much with, they talked about um, many clinicians holding the idea that psychotherapy could never meet EBT criteria or EBP criteria, Uh, but they go on to suggest like with this kind of expanded view of fidelity and flexibility, that that's very possible. Yeah. It it looks more fluid than than maybe we're like, subject to think based on the language of publications, which is like very oriented towards like the objective manualized. Right. And I just want to zoom in a little bit to that because why is that the case? You know, in that sentence that you were just reading, many clinicians hold a misperceived idea that the psychotherapy provided could never meet evidence-based psychotherapy criteria or standards because data are insufficient or flawed. Why is that a misperception? I think there's something true in that. That even though it's recognized here as a misperception, there's something that that is validated in the therapist's felt sense mm. that leads to that misperception. We don't just have them because we don't want to do what someone else told us to do. Yeah, I think that it's from I tried what I thought was the right way, mm. and it didn't work the way you said it was going to. Mm-hmm. So I had to change. Yeah, it didn't work. What do you what do you make of that? Well, yeah, I think of like that is like the wishful posturing of like they go on in so many different places, and we've missed a couple of them already of talking about uh, they they have a language that's very or- oriented towards like including the clinician in this, yeah, in the process their own of expertise, therapy, their, their own perception. Yeah. They even say it sometimes. They say uh, preference. Yeah, the, the clinician's own preference matters. Yeah, um, and I think like, oof, like as a dismissive oriented human, like I would love to take every opportunity to like run away from my preference <laughs> and if if something goes wrong i'm blaming somebody else like <laughs> there you go. yeah like because if i take my preference into order i'm up against my own shame ghosts yeah are you and, gonna fail yeah and therapists like sorry you're human You've you got have em. your ghosts you got them so then like it's easy to projectively identify that in the field of ebts and say like you decide for me and you are me and so then if it doesn't work well, screw all of this. I'll just do my own thing yes. and uh, decenter myself from the tradition of counseling, psychotherapy, and healing practices. And uh, but that feels like ugh, right. We don't have to go there, but I can see why we do. Yes, absolutely. And they, you know, they they transition from this section into the implementation and application of EBPs by saying that. 
the key to evidence-based psychotherapies is to use the best available evidence that and differentiate between limitations of these EBTs or EBPs and fatal flaws. Um, which again, I, I think that there's a lot of subjective meaning to that determination and how that is discovered and when that is, you know, given as the attribution of what happened in the therapy room, but what I think they're getting at is the posture of EBP should be about another concept that I love that they use, um, structured curiosity. Yes. I love that. Yeah. Uh, we'll get more into that as we go, but it's, it's less about, and I think one of the reasons we included this article, but it's less about objective perfection and it's about subjective curiosity or invitation to practice in an evidence-based way is to be contextualized within what we're now knowing more and more about mm. in what creates change in the therapy process and how that fits within the treatment setting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I drew it like towards the end of the article on a margin. Um, actually, when we talk about fidelity and flexibility, um, but it's such an interesting cultural moment to, to be in right now to have this discussion because like even the way you and i are like dancing right now yeah uh, we're dancing between fidelity and um flexibility, flexibility yeah we're dancing between structure and curiosity we're yeah. like and at times i've even had like the felt experience of like we are kind of jumpy like even in reviewing the article yeah but that's like like the field is at that growth point where it hasn't quite like settled into the balance. This is interesting. It's in that like pendulating. Yeah. This to me could be a, something that we spin up on, but I, I think that as we initially characterized one of the limitations as being predominantly left brain favored, you think about flexibility with fidelity, structured curiosity, that sounds like a word picture of hemispheric distinctions. Okay, in this type of setting, as we're trying to communicate through temporal language, we're bound by linearity. We have to jump from fidelity to flexibility, left to right, mm -hmm. from structure to curiosity. Mm -hmm. It feels very jaunty, very yeah. kind of skipping almost. Yeah. But in the posture of what I feel that we're proposing, it is more so about yes and. Yeah. Transcend and include. Like it is that nature of, it is fidelitous, but it's flexible. Yeah. How can those two things be true? It's a dialectic almost on its face. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I love, I love that you're pointing that out. I think the the temporal limitations of how we're communicating i think of like memory reconsolidation was we provided structure or even eckert and yeah. his colleagues provide structure and then in the conception misconception it's like blow yeah, that out curious. of the water stay curious is <laughs> not as easy as as like the first primer alluded to yeah and yeah even in podcasts like in writing it has that like yeah. pragmatic like almost like left okay. to right it's step oriented yeah one two three then four yeah yeah and it does kind of feel like like back and forth yeah. kind of this way that way 
um, front to back. Yep. We've been doing that like yep. a, a lot. And I love that that can be like an embodied reality of welcoming that, mm-hmm. not saying, well, why do you guys keep going? Like why do you even do that? to the like authors, like reading this article, like why does this feel kind of like choppy? And yeah, choppy and like, you say one thing, but then you say the opposite. Yeah. Um, How am I supposed to know what the right answer yeah. is? Oh, man, that makes me think of a phrase that I've been, as you know, I've been doing a lot of reading through Freud. Uh-huh. And he says this phrase that he, like, he um, celebrates. He's like, if psychoanalytic inquiry has taught us anything about the human experience, mm-hmm. It's that opposites do always do not always mean contradiction, and like thinking in this way of like the pendulation we're going yeah. through between structure and curiosity, fidelity and yeah. flexibility. Yeah. Like they may feel opposites, but they're not contradictory. And the art of therapy does not have to be in contradiction with the science of therapy. The structure of therapy does not have to be in contradiction with the flow. The art. Yeah, the 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 mm-hmm. here, there, everywhere, back and forth. Yeah. Like experience of therapy. Well, again, I think that this is what draws us to analytic work. Jessica Benjamin, like it's about complementarity. Yeah. Not about do or done to. Yeah. Like it's mutual not, recognition. Yes, like that is a mentalization exercise. Like it's about these midline structures of the brain coming together to say, I see you left brain, I see you right brain. Mm. We need to come together as a whole brain and make an embodied analysis and response yeah. to this. Yeah. But we don't, so often like our education system doesn't promote this and then our communities post-grad don't support this, don't integrate this. Yeah. Well, do you think, again, like even you noting the way that like the limitations of the communication Yeah. And the process of that, like in school, like our pedagogical structure yes. is or, like, I can't even like it. I just said the word structure. It's oriented towards like the pragmatic, yeah. the structuralized, the design, the, yeah, the outcome, learning outcome. I was just thinking like, that. Yeah. And, and by way of information dissemination, that yeah. is like the form it takes. Yes. Not so good or bad. How do we, it, yeah, no, no. But then. Of course, we expect to people for people either to look for that out in practice, mm-hmm. or to get fed up with it when yeah. it hits its limitation, and to just say, "Well, can't ever hit that ideal." That yeah. So many dialectics are just like filling my brain. <laughs> Content and process, like yeah, yeah. I wrote uh, yeah, I wrote some flexibility, fidelity, experience, remembering, art, science, learning, memory. Yeah. Like, and I love that in kind of the way that they outro this article, there's still quite a bit to get through, but uh, the way that they get out of this is by outlining um, various factors associated with optimal implementation mm. of evidence-based psychotherapies. Yeah. And they name them as relationships, fidelity, flexibility, context, and the provider. Yeah. Do you want to dive in? I do. I have like a I have a bodily responsive excitement. Yes, I'm in. Hundred um, percent. So let's start with the first one: relationships. relationships. Um, I don't know where you want to start. You just go for but it. But I, I circled the junk out of one phrase called. They said 
or I'll read the whole quote, but I got really stoked on one phrase. Um, basically, they're talking about the therapeutic relationship is um, like in research has been shown why patients improve. It accounts for so much of that research mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm, data. Mm-hmm. And they say, as a result, any discussion of evidence-based psychotherapies must, ac- must include attention to evidence-based, evidence-based relationships. relationships. Oh, I dude. love that. I stopped yeah. reading when I heard <laughs> I that. Did, I, I like, like circled what so if much. we just changed our language, yes. jettisoned the treatment, jettisoned the psychotherapy, and said, we're going for evidence-based relationships? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm like, talking about. Yes. And and to to think like when we've been stoked on um, Shore's work of the interpersonal neurobiology of intersubjectivity, intersubjectivity. Yeah. we've been jacked on uh, Ecker's whole mm-hmm. work, like mm-hmm. those are um, somatic and neurobiological inquiries into what makes a relationship flourish inherently or, therapeutic or for both parties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's an intersubjective flourishing. Mm-hmm. That's what they. That's why we get so jacked on that stuff. Is yes. because that is looking at the evidence-based relationships yes. that foster the improvements of an evidence-based treatment. Yeah, or a which I wish. I wish the culture of EBT of evidence-based psychotherapies had within it that same postural humility that Ecker's work does with the process of memory consolidation. It's mm. nothing new. Yeah. It's not anything we made up. Natural, naturally this is occurring a phenomenon. Naturally occurring neurobiological phenomenon. Yeah. That should be, to me, what we're striving after. You know, you, you just outlined, okay, you look at Shore and you look at Ecker overlap. What that is looking at is how the brain develops Shore's work and how it gets off track. Yeah. How does it find healing, regulation, and integration? Yeah. It's synchronized again. Yeah. It's attuned to. Yes. And like in this moment, we could launch up into like so many discussions about our perceptions of ourselves. Yeah. That like Shore's work. Oh, yeah. Ecker's work. They have a fundamentally positive orientation towards towards the human human. mammalian organism. Oh, man. And like I... Like I say that all the time to client. I trust your nervous system. Yeah, to do what it was built I to do. I also trust mine. Yes, and ours. like fundamentally, that is what I'm going to like anchor into is trusting the natural like processes of our systems. Mm-hmm. And where your system fails or goes off and splits, my system I trust to notice that. And it may not notice that for many months. Yeah, that's the arbitrary like reality of therapy until we wake up. And then that's where our nervous systems did what they were supposed to do. That's right. Trust our nervous systems and our human male organisms. But we don't, we've got a lot of culturally muddy stories about ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And I love that this, this article even kind of struggles with that in noting why the relationship might be the kind of therapeutic factor say elements that are probably effective include goal consensus collaboration and positive regard and support that to me sounds like a co-regulated relationship Mm. assumes a lot of safety oh if those things are to be discovered and mutually consented to or Mm -hmm. enjoyed 
that is that requires safe and social. Yeah. Ventral. Yes. It's, it, you know, this is so much of what we talk about in SIP 1 regarding like um, the in, unconscious enactments of do or done to. Mm-hmm. Like people even come to therapy saying, fix me, yes. change me, do your magic on me. What do I do with me. that? Give me the answer. Yeah. And it's like, well, I wish I could, mm-hmm. but I can't. That's not the path to healing. Um, I love the way they they put it is, um, and this is like me alluding to the example of do or done to, I think is a way of also alluding to how easily we can collude unconsciously into that and say like, oh, okay, yeah, well, we have all these things. And yeah. Well, yeah, if you're pulling me into the space. Yeah. Yeah. Then I'll, I'll go there and I will go into then because I'm pulled by the client into what they call therapist centricity. I love providing treatment that revolves around the psychotherapist's goals and agendas is also an ineffective way and impedes the progress. Rigidly adhering to a uniform procrustean bed of psychotherapy for all patients ineffectively binds the individual to ineffective treatment. Like whoever wrote that, I ten out of ten. It yeah. We can't we can't lay all therapy on the same bed. Mm-hmm. And ex- and and expect every person to get better. Like yeah, do you know the that word procrustean is amazing. Um, and I wanted to give just a definition, please. Um, it's a right hemispheric word. It really is, and it connotes tending to produce conformity by violent or arbitrary means. Yes. A uniform procrustean bed of psychotherapy for all patients. Yeah. One size fits all. Yeah. Ooh, this is interesting. My mind goes to then, like what I was saying just before that, of the patient centricity, mm-hmm. the client centristic therapy. Yes. Could also be like procrustean. Procrustean. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Aren't we supposed to be client-centered? Human-centered? Person-centered? Yeah. Just go with what the client is presenting with. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be about the we. The we. The we. The we. Dan Siegel, baby. Come on, Danny. Come on, Dan. Yeah. The we. The intersubjective. We have to make sense and make meaning together. Yes. And that just, you know, I just think I so often, mainly, well, probably because we talk about it now and in different settings, but the when we were messing around with the square on the floor, mm. for me to stand in the square, therapist-centric. For you, as the client, to stand in the square, client-centric. Mm-hmm. It's not about that. Mm-hmm. It's about what you and I together can put in the square on the floor yeah. and what that is, mm-hmm. how much that honors our subjective nature and experience and how we're going to leave from this room. Yeah. Integrated or not integrated. What's it going to be? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good reason for both. Yeah. So that's I, the first factor. That's the first factor relationships. Um, uh, yeah. Psychotherapists must be caring, understanding, and accepting, which allows patients to internalize positive messages and enter the change process of developing self-awareness. It's one of their conclusions of why relationships are so important. Yeah. I'm, I'm for it. I'm <laughs> I'm in full support. Full support. You can tell by in favor, the say tone I. of our voices <laughs> getting incredibly jacked. Yes. That whole section. Fidelity. Um, hmm. 
What yeah, is so the, the next word one of fidelity is... conjure up for you? Um, uh, um, it, like this, um, kind of. <laughs> my hands are doing <laughs> yeah. all of the movement, and I'm realizing this is a podcast. So yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, this like connection with or like it's a subsumed word mm -hmm. so like i'm subsumed within something that's greater mm -hmm, than mm -hmm. and doing justice to that or like yeah. a one-to-one -one, authentically honoring that yeah, communication of yeah. that thing right um that i am not just like caricaturing right and it's something I'm that does have to. a threshold you know i think mm -hmm. about almost like um like passing a spelling bee to do with absolute fidelity, you would get 100% on that spelling bee. But you can still honor the uh, the nature of the you know 10 question uh, kind of spelling test or whatever by getting 80% of it. That's still high fidelity, and you're getting a lot of it, but mm -hmm. it's not 100% or absolute fidelity. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's where some of the flexibility still really matters. You have to know your own internal kind of sense of you know what's your acceptable degree of uh miss or error mm. but it, it's it's something that i want to have a subjective understanding of before we go into the section okay. it's not about yeah perfection 100 percent one-to-one yeah which is actually what that con connotates in my head yeah fidelity means one-to-one -one. yeah yeah which i and maybe we don't want to use that like spectrumized understanding of fidelity but well i i think i want to use the spectrumized understanding of fidelity if it's isolated mm. if it's fidelity with flexibility if there's right. a relational dynamic to the definitions mm. of those words then i'm cool with it being a little bit more structured yes um, yes i love that. attempting one-to-one -one. got it hmm. where to even begin with this section um, uh the way that they use the language, um, just to give some of the, the specifics of how they define fidelity, they say, in addition to attention to the therapeutic relationship, evidence-based psychotherapies that yield good outcomes are those that are practiced with a high degree of fidelity, such that the core components of the psychotherapy are implemented uh, the core components refer to the basic elements of the evidence-based psychotherapy that are required for applicability and validity of the intervention. That's how they understand fidelity. Hmm. Yeah. I think they, they go on to say that psychotherapists uh, shouldn't implement an ABP if, it's no, if the therapy they're engaging in is no longer the type of therapy that <laughs> is like displayed in the studies that came to create this EBP. Yes. Um, you know, and, and that, and that maybe this is going to your spectrumized idea of um, fidelity, is that EBPs or EBTs, um, that is the umbrella. Mm -hmm. And so my fidelity is to the collection of experience mm. in the umbrella of EBTs or EBPs, mm -hmm. not the specific one I'm in. I'm in, integrated into my practice right now. Yes. Um, I made a comment about like um, the appropriate what comes from fidelity to the why and when. Um, so like I'm, 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 I have a degree of fidelity to the, uh, the why or the posture behind these EBTs, <laughs> not so much like the what to themselves of the specific like CBT, DBT, um, 
all of your other mm-hmm. teas. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But just the heart of yeah. those EBTs. And that, I think, is is humanizing the use of fidelitous treatment because they, they note that, unfortunately, other than in efficacy research, it's not generally feasible to closely monitor fidelity in real-world implementation. Rigid application of fidelity reduces the usability of a particular psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. That's because when we're observing an efficacy study, it's usually based on the kind of like hole-in-one <laughs> presentation that the therapy was designed to treat. Mm-hmm. Like, got it. I, I, I see depression, I'm going to treat depression. Mm-hmm. Where in reality, the comorbidity of the human condition mm, creates methodological issues within implementing evidence-based psychotherapies. Yeah. Yeah, for are that you, very reason. Are you saying that in order to be within high levels of fidelity, we need high levels of case conceptualization? I am absolutely saying that. We you need to make need sure to that we're obtaining and organizing information. You, you dog. Just a shameless plug into SIP. Case, SIP, case conceptualization as a whole. Consultation. Yep, consultation. They even go on to say that maintaining fidelity often requires time and resources for training and ongoing monitoring. Yes. Which is where I think like for us, and this is like what's been in my head so much, is like fidelity, like connection to the heart of these therapies requires us to as a like collection of healers Mm -hmm. to be in constant monitoring and organization of what we're experiencing together, supporting one another in that so that we are like maintaining a a posture that is within fidelity towards um, our field and evidence-based therapies. Yes. And And, ooh, evidence-based relationships. Nice. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, Within that, we must be flexible then you know mm-hmm. they transition into that idea that while fidelity is a crucial component of successful evidence-based psychotherapy implementation with flexibility is also a necessity mm-hmm. uh, in this way flexibility refers to areas where the application of the psychotherapy differs from the specific evidence-based psychotherapy uh, such as deviations from manual-based protocol or individualized applications based on patient characteristics So when you meet a human who presents in a certain way, there's a postural check that happens where you recognize that this is contextually based, not, uh, you know, black and white, Mm -mm. uh, kind of coming out of a textbook for you to pair a treatment to. This is a person's lived experience and how their system specifically has coped with being in the real. Yeah, yeah. And they talk about the thin line or the fine line between implementation of EBPs and the maintenance of the core, comp- the core components. So being mm. flexible, but maintaining connection to the core components. Yes. Um, and that being situated contextually. <laughs> I think the flexibility is then dependent upon the contextualization of the therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, I love when we start to move on to their like articulation of context that the flexibility in the context is not just like from an ecological standpoint it's not just the macro systems that Mm -hmm. we're assessing Mm -hmm. like we're looking at also the granular they include Mm -hmm. yeah they include um the applicability to the patient and some of the limitations of that 
and also the authenticity of the provider. Mm -hmm. They talk about several waves of different uh, CBTs mm -hmm. um, and how the authenticity of the provider, the provider subjectivity mm -hmm. may relate differently to these and mm -hmm. that the client then may relate differently to some of these waves of therapies. Yeah. And that the contextualization of an EBT mm -hmm. is to take like a, an honest look at, does this feel authentic to me as a provider? Yeah. And is this like applicable to you as the patient based yes. on your needs and contacts and abilities yeah. and, and readiness? I like, and I like the therapeutic dyad being recognized as a uh, overlap of various contexts hmm. um, so that we can contextualize the client, contextualize the therapist and contextualize the relationship hmm. each in its own kind of order. You know, they go on to talk about how even the context of the relationship, the setting, the uh, really like the goals of that setting, like what that agency or, uh, you know, practice is intended to help the people who present for treatment to do, how that can change what the treatment is. Um, you know, here in private practice, we are very uh, privileged to be able to invite uh, those who present for treatment into a relationship that has at its core the desire to heal mm -hmm. uh, not just reduce symptoms yeah but to actually integrate and uh, kind of restore holistic and adaptive functioning mm -hmm. that is different than let's say a school-based setting where mm -hmm. really the goal is to get you the resources that you need to continue to stay engaged as a learner in that mm -hmm. environment. That's mm -hmm. very different than what so often we practice here. Not good or bad, but mm. it just is. Yeah. Mm. What do you think of that? I have, I have too many thoughts and I feel like I'm, I'm, I don't have any thoughts specific to okay, that. Okay, go ahead. So, yeah. Um, well, I was just thinking of, you know, that I was going to the next session yeah. section of being a provider yeah. and um, kind of the context of the relationship, the dyadic experience, including the provider. And one of the things that I've been talking about um, as far as like, and we've hit this on so many notes in this um, episode, even of that idea of like continuing to, come back to the discussion like what does the client need what is authentic to me like mm -hmm. being very collaborative but also maintaining an orientation of like being willing to look at the therapy you're doing over and over again and case conceptualize one of the things that I've um, said to a lot of my clients is like at the base level what we know is um, health equals connection yes and connection equals for in this article and EBTs continued learning. So I can launch into a loop with one EBT, mm -hmm. but then like through my ongoing process of like understanding what's emerging. Yeah. Mid in, arc of mid that arc. Loop. Yeah. Like disengage and re-engage a different quote unquote EBT yeah. and being flexible, yes. but looking deeper into the therapy and saying like, what is the heart? of the need yes um i think so much of like the context section and the provider section to me was like this is where the art yes. of therapy really like 
takes flavor. Like I do, I like again that it gets flavored. That it's like mm-hmm. I, taking the time to really conceptualize each of my clients allows me to actually be excited about each of my clients. Yes, and to not feel like dull, but that I am like entering into a new world of experience as a provider in a different context with yeah. my client using a different EBT orientation. Yeah. Embracing that curiosity and creativity is essential to the kind of longevity of the practitioner's spirit. <laughs> you yeah. know, like I'm mixing a lot of language there, but you know, I just think about the the case of burnout to me is self-explanatory. Like you, even from an autonomic perspective, like you tried to maintain a mixed state of sympathetic and ventral to bring about a desired effect. Those effects were thwarted in their implementation due to the complexity of the presentation and not enough ventral co-regulation was discovered to incorporate a new innovation to Mm -hmm. the relationship to bring about that desired effect. So you fall further down the autonomic ladder and less and less opportunities for that creativity become possible. At the end of that story is burnout. It yeah. is shutdown. Either the flea or the, the full shutdown. Yes. Yeah. So mm. to me, it just makes a lot of sense. It does make a lot of sense. So yeah. I, like, I like even like following it down the polyvagal. Like, yeah, you're a mammal. Yeah. You're going to, you know, burnout is adaptive in that way. Mm-hmm. It's not working. Yeah. We are being wounded in this mm. encounter. Mm. Yeah. Which like my heart then goes to further the evidence-based relationships, um, not just therapist to client, but therapist to therapist. Oh, the community. Like, that's really where I want us to maybe go yeah. with the end of the conversation. Because yeah. they basically just end this by saying, Um, There needs to be a greater appreciation of the value of individual practitioners being flexible in their implementation of protocols based on the unique needs and preferences of their individual patients along with their own clinical expertise. Yeah. That to me assumes a high degree of invitation and co-regulation amidst a community that is grounded in those same ideals. Yeah. We have to have that ongoing connection exposure to these resources training yeah consultation relationship yeah yeah and what's coming up in my mind is like are we really talking about a paradigm shift away from my evidence-based relationship with a protocol Mm. and an outcome and a product and i'm shifting more towards my evidence-based relationship with other clinicians Mm. and the process Mm. I think of Eckerd's like focus on um, Eckerd Ecker's focus on process over product, mm-hmm. um, and really kind of what I'm hearing, like and even feeling in this moment is like, you know, what if EBT shifted away, shifted the f- focus of attention away from, and not entirely away from the product. And the my relationship to an adherence to a protocol or a desired outcome, and more so my evidence-based relationship with the process, yeah. both with my client and other clinicians. Yeah. And that is what's, I mean, in a way, like I 
feel somewhat justified in saying like that is what all of our research has told us us. like is evidence-based therapy is am i connected with my client and am i connected with other clinicians yes and in doing so we co-create yeah and the nature of that connection i think again kind of back to what the gist of the article is to me the nature of that connection is grounded in research Mm -hmm. is grounded in pursuing effective uh, treatment for the sake Mm -hmm. of therapeutic outcome Mm -hmm. it's not just you know haphazard uh, relationship just around supporting burnout which i think is important but Mm -hmm. it's it's yes and to that it's like i get that again like with the autonomic explanation of burnout 100 percent get that but come and synchronize with me Mm. and find relief rest Mm. regulation ready for more you know i think about that like let's synchronize with that come down regulate and then go for more Mm -hmm. we can as mammals it's built in yeah 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 i think of you said in a training recently, like, if we understand the why and the when, mm-hmm. which is something that we come to together collaboratively, then the what of therapy will naturally emerge. Yeah, we just got to trust we it. We have to trust it. Yes. But an evidence-based therapy, like, does include the what, but it's almost like we've forsaken the why and the when. Yeah for the what what we do that makes me emotional like to Mm -hmm. think about that because that to me decontextualizes the nature of human as organism Mm. like it takes that away yeah and says just pursue the what Mm -hmm. yeah we did all the work on the why and the when you don't need to look anymore that assumes that this organism is not a being in time capable of evolution Mm. you don't need to pay attention for nuance anymore Mm-hmm. just pursue the objective outcome yeah that's decontextualizing it's dehumanizing yeah dehumanizing yeah but to pursue an evidence-based relationship is to pay attention and to honor and trust with absolute faith mm. <laughs> that the when and the why will lead to the what yeah knowing how knowing the the why it's happening yeah I'm I'm reminded of like and sometimes in therapy sessions like I've been asked well what do I do and it's way before we've gotten to the heart of the clinical like understanding yeah what's going on and one time I joked and I was like has your body ever not done Mm. like has it really like have you ever been in a place where you like literally don't do because even dissociation is a doing. Yes. And like the, the most severe doing. is an adaptive not doing, which is a doing. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, why spend yeah. so much time worrying about that? Yeah. What what are we going to do? Yeah. Like, let's trust our bodies. Once we have integrated information, we'll create a behavioral activation that is more complete and full. And authentic. And authentic to me. Yes. To integrated yes. is another word. And therefore, we'll do, like... What honors that? What honor? Yeah. I love that phrase. What honors that? Yeah. Um, but we've never not done. Well, and I think that that... To, to have the permission to pursue what honors that 
assumes safety. Mm. At least a relative degree. Mm. Because it takes time to discover that. And if the current context is unbearable or intolerable, we don't have the time. We don't have the patience. We don't have the, the felt sense of safety for long enough. You know, we talk about that safe enough for long enough to survive. We must use strategy to avoid, bypass, or hide. Yeah. I want to just say something that's like a breadcrumb. Sometimes I'll do this at the end of therapy sessions. Like, I wonder if we could just think about this. And I'm, I may ask you, you may bring it up. We may never talk about this again. Yeah. But it's somewhat funny to me that if our goal is to conserve resources uh, by creating EBTs, so to do things more efficiently, mm-hmm. save people money, you know, time, time which is money yeah. in a way, like what if we just restructure the whole system? Like it's art, you and I talk about it, it's arbitrary, like that we've created this thing yeah and it's made up we do this in a certain way yeah like <laughs> humans created therapy because we stopped doing what we should have naturally been doing for each other just as humans in community yeah so we created this like dumping ground of a therapy session an objectified version yeah, yeah. and so like that's where we'll do what we don't do the rest of the time God, that we should yeah. have been doing this you're starting this now i know but I, well, yes <laughs> i'm sorry I, I genuinely am but i as a breadcrumb like what if we just read oriented because my, my mind goes to like the time and safety that you're just now talking to like talking about is you know sometimes with different clients like i'm also thinking like socioeconomic resources like yes like structural those systemic. Are systemic and structural like impediments to therapy yeah and like what if we didn't try to find a what that was faster but we reconceptualize the structures how did we get here yeah that got us to this place that that's we feel why, pressured into the what that's why we have to do research we have to do research mm. if, if we don't we don't know that reality mm-hmm. we have no con- we have no context to understand it yeah it can't be any other way it's always been this way really has it yeah you know the more that we do this work here the more that i feel we are getting back to that hmm. Hmm. It, it is decolonizing in so many ways hmm. what was created out of the absence Hmm. and every that's to me truly i mean and this is the sociologist to me like every moment must have that larger system in mind yeah it must be ecological yeah it 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 will fail if we simply implement an individual moment in the now yeah it has no hooks to grasp onto it has no context to be able to go out and generalize to anything else yeah That's a beautiful, I think, way to end and to leave people with their first taste on this podcast, at least, of, and that's actually not true, first taste, but a taste of <laughs> the most recent very, taste. <laughs> yeah, the most recent flavor of talking about what is an EBT yeah. and what does that look like? Why is it there? What's the history of it? 
Yeah. One of the advantages, disadvantages of them. Yeah. I love that this is how we've set the context for the rest of the season, really. Like mm-hmm. every everything else that we have planned for this, for this season is kind of orienting around how we as a field have flailed in the face of this reality, mm-hmm. that we've gotten to this place of a misunderstanding mm-hmm. and that we need to get back to this yeah. evidence-based relationship. Um, you know, we'll talk thing, we'll talk about things of our diagnostic criteria in the face of this uh, reality. Mm. When we focus on the EBT over the evidence-based relationship, we actually need more objectifying language to do that. Mm. And so perhaps our diagnostic manuals are uh, facilitative in that regard. Yeah. Colonizing experience is an interesting Mm -hmm. way to look at it. Yeah. But I think a breadcrumb to follow absolutely is do we really need more what oriented articulations i say absolutely not (laughs) it's just me giving the answer for me yeah yeah like we need synthesis we need how why and when Mm. the what will come the what will come you're always doing trust it trust it love it thank you man yeah thank you and thank you listener for listener. joining us well, we will see you speak to you next time see you next time yeah see you hear you you'll hear us we'll imagine hopefully you. I'll hear you yeah at some point yeah at some point yeah in my head I do and... have like a virtual other of the the other the in, the intercorporeal <laughs> other that is the listener yeah um, yeah but yeah. we have consultation and trainings and all kinds of things so we'd love to Love to connect. Yeah. Take care. We hope that you've enjoyed this podcast episode and that it will help you stay curious and create community around discussing the research that matters most to clinicians and researchers. If you're curious to learn more about something you heard today, check out our website at www.beyondhealingcenter.com and go to the trainings tab for more information on our upcoming case conceptualization trainings and community events. You can also contact us by emailing trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com. If you want to stay connected, please subscribe to this podcast for more episodes. Leave us a review and follow us on social media by searching the Evidence-Based Therapist Podcast. This podcast is a project of Beyond Healing Media, a media creation group committed to creativity, community, and embracing the beauty of being human. If you like this podcast, you might also like the other podcasts of Beyond Healing Media. Notice that is an EMDR podcast hosted by EMDR-approved consultants and trainers who use EMDR in their practice. Beyond Trauma is an educational podcast on the journey of trauma therapy and what it means to be humans who have been hurt but are learning to recover and grow, living the life we all want of safety and connection. The Burnout Educator is an interview-style podcast that invites stories from people across the spectrum of the educational system and seeks to see the human inside the role they play. It is our desire that you see parts of your story and those around you in the stories you hear.
You better watch it. I'm gonna flex on you. <laughs> you better watch yourself. Come over there, Will Smith slap you and say, oh. If you enjoy what you hear on these episodes and are interested in speaking with one of us at Beyond Healing Institute, we would love for you to reach out about our consultation opportunities. Of all the many things that we do, consultation is one of the things that we enjoy most. We love supporting other clinicians in conceptualizing their cases from a neurobiological and nervous system-informed perspective. We offer individual and group consultation for somatic integration and processing, as well as for EMDR therapy. Individual consultation is a great way to get personal time to reflect on your cases and how you and your work influence one another. Group consultation offers so many opportunities for learning and connection with other like-minded clinicians. Our greatest mission at Beyond Healing Institute is to offer opportunities for professional development and create a supportive community in the field of mental health. Beyond Healing Institute is excited to announce that we're moving. Okay, well, we're not moving our building, but we're moving our trainings, continuing education resources, and community events to Canvas. This will help you as a member of the community to stay in contact with other members of the Beyond Healing community while also providing a platform that brings consistency and convenience to all of our trainings and course offerings. Canvas is an online learning management system that will be your home base for all things Beyond Healing, as well as a virtual campus that will house all of our trainings and continuing education resources. We're so excited to invite you to our virtual campus on Canvas, and we hope to see you there soon.